Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Duke Football Coverage Podcast, brought to you as always by Bull City Coordinators. You can follow us at our newly retooled website, bullcitycoordinators.com. We've dropped the .wordpress dot out of it, and we are now just bullcitycoordinators.com. Follow us on Twitter at DukeFBCoverage. Listen to our podcast wherever you can find podcasts. We are on Apple. We are on Google. We are on Anchor. We are on Spotify. I think we're on Podbean, and for some reason we're listed under technology or something. I don't know, but whatever, we'll take whatever publicity that we can get. Uh, If you want to get in touch with us, if you are a former coach, former player, uh, family member of a former coach or player, and you want to come on and chat, I love getting the chance to talk Duke football. I've been watching the team since I remember the late 80s in the Spurrier area, uh, Spurrier era, excuse me for that. I love a chance to get to talk about uh, one of my favorite teams and one of my favorite sports. Uh, you can shoot me an email at uh, at my Gmail account, bullcitycoordinators at gmail.com. And now, moving on from that, we have a very special guest today, former offensive lineman, uh, a guy who's part of a crew that you probably only notice uh, if something goes wrong and you don't give them all the credit that they deserve for the hard work that they do. We have TC, the big cat himself, to Kobe Cofield has taken some time out of this Saturday morning to come on uh, the program and chat with us. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me this morning. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to come on here and talk to us. Uh, I know you got a lot going on. And before we get into your time at Duke and all things Duke football, uh, just tell us what you're doing now. What are you up to these days? Um, so currently I'm, uh, I'm signed in the CFL still, um, currently in between, uh, playing up there and hopefully we have a season. Um, they've given us some, given us some feedback about possibly having, uh, having a reopening and having a season up there. But, um, in the meantime, since the pandemic hit, um, I've actually been coaching football at Southeast Raleigh Magna High School. Um, I was the O-line coach and run game coordinator as well as a social studies teacher over there. Um, I got my degree at Duke in African and African-American studies, modern education. Um, so secondary uh, plan B, I guess you could say, you know, post pro ball was uh, to coach and teach. Um, and I've loved every second of it, um, as well as I've, I have a, a skills training company, uh, TC3 Performance, in which I train and mentor offensive linemen throughout the state of North Carolina. Um, and I actually have some guys in some other places, um, as well as a couple guys that I've trained and kind of uh, talked to a mentor up in Canada as well. So, uh, busy guy, uh, been, been moving around, but uh, nevertheless, uh, still football oriented. Well, it's interesting what you say about your backup plan after football was over, and I, I want you said a lot of things that I'd like to follow up on. But uh, tell me a little bit about that. Do you think that Duke helped you from an educational perspective and preparing you to for life after football? Absolutely, um, they they did a magnificent job with that, um, and that's something that I really commend Coach Cut for, and that I watched our program actually grow um, in so many different ways, uh, and and um, one of those ways is um, a lot of professional development, um, just in a post football perspective. Uh, they gave us a lot of internship opportunities, even you know with guys still being focused as football players and um, the network and the different connections that they help, you know, us, us grow as far as relationships with alumni, 
um, just different guys, different, different, so many different people, um, you know, resume building, all those types of different things. Um, Coach Cut, uh, you know, he, he did a great job of working with, you know, everybody within the program to grow us as players and um, not just players, but men um, to go on. And, you know, he always used to tell us, I want you guys to go be great fathers and brothers and uncles and nephews. But, you know, we're going to have to, you're going to have to go out here and eventually the football is going to stop. Uh, you're not going to be able to run around on the field forever. So um, I think they did a great job with it. Yeah, and I'm pushing 40, and I can sympathize with that. Sometimes I wake up in the morning, and I don't know what I did to my back, but um, all, all good things have to come to an end, not to kind of tell you what you may have to look out for in the future. But uh, I'm going to I'm gonna go a little bit off topic and out of order because I want to stay on this. Uh, my last interview with A.J. Wolf, uh, he made me decide to ask players what they thought about the campus and the academic setting at Duke. Just tell us a little bit about what you liked about being a student at Duke, separate maybe from being a student athlete at Duke. Um, uh, AJ, AJ is a great dude, by the way. Great, you know, one of my great teammates, uh, really a, a hardworking guy, tough-nosed guy. Um, so he, he, I'm sure he highlighted um, the competitiveness. Uh, you actually grow as a competitor. Um off the field in a lot of aspects. Um, and that's something that I did fall in love with. Uh, initially, believe it or not, it wasn't something natural for me. Uh, a lot of things in the classroom, it just kind of came came natural. Um, you know, I just kind of did my schoolwork and got it done. But as time went on with me being at Duke, I kind of became more of a competitor in the classroom. And, and you know, that's something, again, preached by Coach Cut, Coach Durfee is, um, you know, your habits. And they spill over into different parts of your life. And if you're a competitor, you're going to compete all the time. Um, but on top of, you know, the, I guess you would say most specifically as a student, um, and something that I cherish now more actually than when I was there just is the relationships that you create with the with the small class and, and the small environment over there. Um, I... I I still keep in touch with a lot of people I graduated in undergrad um, with, uh, believe it or not. And it's because of the smaller class size. It's such a small environment that you do have the opportunity to be close with your professors and talk with your professors and um, still keep in touch with quite a few of them. Um, So that's something that I really, really, really cherish a lot because now as a teacher, um, I still reach out to some of my old professors I can even go back and talk to them about things that we did in class as a means to um, better understand and better teach my kids now, um, the students that I have now. So um, the relationship piece, you know, is is phenomenal there. And I think that's probably the biggest thing um, that I cherish 100%. Well, that's good to hear. Um, And I'm going to use that to segue into what you're currently doing as you're waiting to find out what may happen with uh, your uh, professional career this season. Uh, as I want to ask you a little bit about your experience as a coach, uh, but I want to start with two things. What got you into coaching? And then if you can explain to people like me who are more casual fans, didn't grow up playing football, what you as a run game coordinator do. So uh, you'll you, you'll love to hear this. Um, 
<laughs> per your per I see the I see the tweets and I'm sure uh I call him I call him uh Papa John. He uh he I'm sure he sees him too. Um he's a big reason why I got into coaching. Um he's a huge reason. I I I still talk to Coach Latina all the time. Um all the time. And and I call him Papa John, but um, and I've told him plenty of times this and I credit him with not only saving my football career, but saving my life in a lot of aspects. Um, the tough love, but not only that, the care and the lessons that I've learned from him over the time since me and him met. Um, and our relationship has grown from player coach to, you know, man, you know, man, the mentor. Um, he, he really got me into coaching and he really helped me understand more of like I said, the, the the relationship piece and just how to how to kind of how to understand and see things from a different perspective. Um, as a coach, I kind of used to view a lot of coaches and a lot of coaching is one way, and he kind of showed me differently um, how to make guys tick. You know, what what type of relationship do you have with your players? Um, I'm not scared to say it, but uh, he could look at us and tell us to go run through a brick wall and all of us probably would go head first um, without hesitation just because um, our relationship with him was was that great. Um, and that's what really got me into coaching. Um, just his relationship with me, um, as well as Marcus Johnson, he was another guy that heavily influenced that. Um, he, he, me and him still speak quite a bit. Um, Marcus is a great mentor of mine and somebody I really look up to. Ton of football knowledge, ton of life experience, and he's always, you know, been another mentor of mine. Somebody that I've always looked to for advice. And and both of them, I, I watch, you know, I watch them take guys that I didn't think, you know, probably were going to be great players, um, and just help them grow and, and mature and polish them up and you know they they grew and they became great not only as players but they continue to grow as men you know a lot of those guys I call my friends and former teammates but it really inspired me to kind of go out and say you know this is important because I saw the importance for me and a lot of my other teammates um so that was that's been huge run game coordinator wise um it's it's schematically um, schematically I try and draw up all the runs I try and get all the runs together um, formation wise what's going to work best for us um, scheme wise what's going to work best for us I try to protections I try to make sure that we you know we're always putting ourselves in good position if we're going to throw the ball um, we're always protected we understand where the blitzes may or may not be coming from um, just a ton, but but mostly just trying to schematically draw up and put together the run game every every week, um, and and just trying to figure out scheme wise what's going to work best for us on the ground. Let me uh, follow up on a couple of points. One with uh, Coach Latina. I just got to say there are very few men that can pull off a mustache, but he can do it. All right, <laughs> so that's when you know you've got a cool guy, right? All right, that's your first sign that this guy knows what he's doing. All right. Uh, but second, tell me a little bit about, I mean, you're, well, I guess you're still an active player. Uh, what's the biggest difference between going from playing to coaching? Um, um, the fact that you can't get out there and do it, um, and, and learning how to have to 
translate what may or may not work for you as a player and what you see and trying to get players to, to speak your language. Um, and, and that's something Coach Latini should talk about all the time. We got to speak the same language. We got to see, you got to see what I see. I got to see what you see. And we got to all kind of see the same picture um, the same way. And that way we're always on the same page. So um, being able to take pro football knowledge and water it down to almost its most bare minimum foundation to be able to translate that, help them understand it, help them digest it, and then be able to function. Um, and that is that is within itself is quite a quite a task a lot of times, especially with high school football players, because their background may not have been a lot of football, a ton of football, or they might have been taught so many different things at so many different times that you got to kind of try and figure out, like, okay, how much do you know? And what do you know? and What can you relate to the fastest? So um, it's 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 tough. Um, it's really tough. It's it's tough sometimes. Uh, a lot of times, some at times it's 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 easy, um, and, and you do get some easy wins at times when you go, oh, good. You all kind of understand the same thing. We can move on fast from this part. And then, um, like I said, just trying to find ways to make guys tick. Um, because as a player, you know, you can be a, you, you can be a team spark plug. Um, you can, you can kind of go out there and make a couple plays and you can kind of change the momentum and change the feeling on the sideline as a coach. You have to find a way to make somebody a spark plug sometimes, um, and make guys believe and understand their jobs and what's important for the, for the game and for the team. So, um, there's a lot, there's a lot to kind of go with that and, and it can get tough sometimes, but I, I love it. The rewarding part is when you see it work, you know, you see guys flourish and you see guys continue to grow and get better. Let me uh, follow up on a couple of things just because I thought what you were saying was, was very interesting about trying to get them to understand you and you to understand them. I, I remember when Magic Johnson was trying to coach the Lakers, he was yelling at one of his point guards that somebody was open. and His assistant said, Magic, he doesn't see it like you see it, right? He doesn't see the floor the way you see it. Is that ever a challenge for you? I mean, you've got professional experience. You were in the NFL. You've, you're waiting to go back to the CFL. You played at a high-level institution of college football, is that something that's ever a challenge for you with the player? Like, how could you not see that it was right there? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I would say I'm a very different kind of coach. Um, I actually, I, I don't yell. I don't raise my voice at all. Um, period. Uh, I, I don't yell, and I let players and coaches know that immediately when I come on staff is, hey, I'm not one of these guys that's going to yell at anybody. I don't even raise my voice. You're not going to hear me. Um, you're never going to hear, but I kind of think that goes in with being able to kind of help them. Um, if you feel like I'm teaching instead of, um, I'm yelling at you, so to speak, in a lot of cases, you'll be less subject to make a mistake. Um, and that's, and, and I kind of learned that from myself. Um, and I have two sons, uh, four, three years old. Um, the four-year-old 
you know, I can't raise my voice with him at all, where he'll just kind of crumble and fold. And it kind of, my mom told me one day, she was like, well, think, like, you know, you don't like when people yell at you because you like to, you like to get as close to perfect and do the right thing. So if you kind of change the way he's feeling sometimes, as opposed to saying, well, my dad's going to yell at me. And same thing in the, in, on the field. And I, I make my players feel like he's not going to yell at us if we come up with an issue or we do something wrong. I want you to feel account, accountable for yourself and, and for the job you're doing and the job that you have to get done for your brother beside you. And not necessarily that I'm going to yell, but believe it or not, I make the accountability theirs in the sense that my players, will, they'll hold each other accountable. They'll be the ones that kind of do the yelling sometimes and do the policing of each other. And, as, and when I feel like a player, when I feel like when an offensive line especially holds each other accountable, and that's something that we did a great job of, Coach Latina and Coach Johnson and Daryl uh, Harris, who's there too um, with us, they, they did a great job of growing us into that, and that's holding each other accountable. Um, and I feel like that that makes you a ton better as a team and as a program. And, um, you grow a lot from that. No, I don't. I don't have to go out there and rah rah anybody to death. It's just, hey, here's a problem. Here's the answer. Here's how we fix it. You know, let's 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 move on. Um, so it helps a lot um, with with them understanding and seeing, knowing that hey, he's not gonna, he's not gonna dog cuss us if we mess this up. Um, he's just gonna help us help us fix our help us fix our issues. Uh, I'm glad I'm not the only one who uses that phrase that you just used. Uh, so. Uh, but uh, I say that to some people, you know, it's like, look, you're about to make me dog curse you. And they look at me like I'm crazy. I said, no, it's a phrase. People say it. People say it. 100% they do. So thank you. So I've, got, I've got citations now. And you're, you're a worldly guy. You've been to Canada. you played internationally. See, I can back this up. That's good. I want to I ask you a little or talk to you a little bit about not yelling or raising your voice because that's something that – I've worked hard on myself, you know, with my kids and everything, but they know that when dad raises his voice, it's, it's serious. Right. But as, as a coach, you know, we, I mean, I'm not comparing what I'm doing to the coaching that you're doing or anything like that, but you know, we coach our kids soccer teams and we help out with that. And, and I, I don't, I don't yell at the kids. Now when we're on the sidelines, you're having to yell so they can hear you. Right. But that's, that's a different matter. But, I don't know what the change was with me, but I, as I got older and you would see the kind of yelling, screaming, old school screamer coaches, I kind of got to a point where I said, you know, that used to be idolized and kind of the way you do it, but it doesn't really look like effective communication to me. And I'm just, and so I like when my son and my daughter play for coaches who don't do that, coaches who are more hey, I'm going to look at you face-to-face and I'm going to tell you what you did right and what you did wrong, but I'm not going to dress you down, you know? Right. And I'm just curious your thoughts on that. Um, yeah, I, I'm by, by all means. And um, it, it actually started um, It actually started for me. I coached a 13U, um, a 13U AYF uh, team this spring as well just to kind of – um, since this was my first time coaching since 2017, um, 2017, I was at Nightdale High School. Uh, I tore my ACL in 2016 when I was with the Raiders. So, um, I came back, I was in Durham, um, training and trying to get my knee back together. And I did a, a, a lot of my 
PT work at Duke. Um, majority of it, uh, thank you. Uh, big thanks to Hap, uh, Hap and Coach Cut and Coach Durfee for uh, welcoming me back in and, and helping me get better. Nick uh, Nick Potter uh, did a wonderful job. Wonderful. Uh, Nick is a great dude. Great. Does a wonderful job um, working with me and uh, a lot of the athletes there at uh, Duke. Um, current and former so um you know coming back there and just kind of wanted to get back in the swing of things and I coached at a like I said a 13U AYF team and you know with them I was like wow you know I've never coached kids this young before this is going to be super different for me um and just having the parents kind of be around um just the kids and understanding kind of their temperament uh, generations change. Um, generations change. Generations do things a little differently. Um, they learn from the generation before them. And a lot of these young men and young women of this generation, um, they're, they're, they're fragile in some spots. Um, they've seen a lot. Um, we've been through a lot as a society. So some of their traumas they don't exactly know how to deal with. And, and some of their triggers are a bunch of yelling. Um, loud noises, yelling, and they just feel frustrated from that. So um, I just try and keep the world as calm as I can around them. And Coach Latini used to tell us, again, I keep keep referencing him because he's literally, he's literally, it's, it's, it's a lot of knowledge and it's a lot of help. And I tell him every time I talk to him, like, Coach, you know, you help me in ways you have no idea. And probably thought I was ignoring you and I was soaking up every word that you were saying. Um, but he used to tell us, you know, as offensive linemen, we're problem solvers. And um, my dad used to always tell me, once you get frustrated, you stop thinking. So keeping the world calm, kind of keeping players calm, keeping people calm and helping them open their ears as opposed to feeling emotional a lot of times, you know, be it soccer, football, basketball, it helps them function a little bit easier, um, especially when the, the gravity of the game as well as you're in the fourth quarter or something's going on, there's a heated exchange, you know, a lot of yelling and, and, and kind of getting them riled up might lead to them making a reaction or doing something, but um, your teams and your kids are going to follow your temperament. Um, Gosatina was a tough dude. He was tough, hard-nosed, but he loved us. So um, we became that. We became a very close-knit, tight group. Um, we love each other. We still have an online group chat. We talk all the time. Um, we support each other. We still keep in touch. But um, we were tough. We were gritty. Um, and I believe they're, your, your kids, your position group, whoever you're dealing with, they're going to take on that personality um, of who you are when you're, when you're dealing with them a lot. One thing I always like to do when kids would come off the field is I pull them aside and tell them if they'd done something that they didn't need to do again, so they made a mistake or they just did something a little bit off or whatever, I would tell them that, but also say, but here's what you did right, you know, so that they wouldn't get down on themselves. Is that something that you try to do one-on-one with the kids you coach? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I, I, usually I ask, you know, what did you see? Um, because I want to make sure that, again, we're all seeing the same picture. Um, and usually after that, when they tell me, I try to strip the emotions as fast as I can. I try to look at them um, and tell them, uh, usually they're coming off. I saw these, but man, why did he da 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 And usually that's when I hate. All right, look, it's over. Um, it's over. It's over. It's over. Can't change it. Now let's fix the problem. 
Like, let's fix the problem and let's worry about you playing to your strengths. What are, what are you good at? Okay, this is what you got to do going back out there. What do you got to fix? All right, let's fix that. So when your number's called and the coach turns around, he doesn't see emotions. He sees a player that's ready, that's understood, uh, that understood his, understood his mistake, and that's ready to make a play and ready to kind of go back in and reinsert itself to, to help us win and, and help us improve. So, um, and that's, that's you know, being the guy, being in that, that, that kid's shoes before and, and having been emotional and the coach sees the emotions and it's like, ain't putting you back in, you know, you're, you're just, you're, you're, you're mad at me even for taking you out. It's like, ah, now we're fighting emotions and we're fighting coach that, that's making assumptions about your emotions. So, um, absolutely. I try to, I, I try to, like I said, keep them, keep them calm as much as I can. Um, and, and it helps a lot. Well, let's turn a little bit to your professional experience. Tell us a little bit about what your NFL career was like. If I recall correctly, you were an undrafted free agent. Tell us a little bit about the challenges and struggles that that would present as opposed to being drafted and kind of just the process from pro day all the way through your uh, NFL career. Um, uh, it was, it was, it was kind of a wild time, um, in the sense that kind of looking back at it now at 29, um, it went fast. Um, there's a lot of things that kind of went fast, but, you know, I thank God that I soaked up a lot of those moments and a lot of the information that I got, um, and those experiences, um, getting prepared for my pro day was, it was pretty intense. Um, I trained in North Miami beach for a while for the train for the combine there. Um, got a chance to, to be down there with some pros and kind of see how they take care of themselves, how they interact, you know, what things are important to them. Just kind of seeing what an off season for a pro football player, a multi-year pro football player kind of looked like. Um, and then uh, transitioning from down there, I came back to Durham to get ready for pro day. Um, like I said, it was intense. Uh, my intent was to get drafted. Um, I had Lakin with me. Uh, me, and him, me and him had each other from day one, um, talking even before we came into Duke. Um, we became pretty cool. Um, we roommates freshman year. You know, Coach Luke really, really made an adamant about us, you know, being together, us being able to understand and rely on each other. And, um, and he told us when we came in, Coach Luke told us, he said, you guys are the foundation of something new here. Um, you're, you guys are going to be the beginning of something different uh, for Duke football, especially up front of the offensive line. So um, I, I shout out to, to Big Lake for, you know, pushing me and me pushing him every day. Um, it was an everyday, all-the-time thing in the weight room on the field, but um, – you know, I knew he was getting a ton of notoriety and a ton of, you know, attention. So I knew if I was going to make it, my opportunities had to kind of come competing against him because he was such a good player, such a dominant player. Um, and if they could even see, hey, this Cofield guy, he, he, he's, he ain't far off from, you know, Lakin, then I figure, hey, I'm going to land somewhere close and, and I'm going to get an opportunity. And that's all I really wanted was an opportunity. Um, so... You know, for private visits and workouts where teams were coming in, um, I was getting calls from teams and 
um, just different things and, you know, having to ask my agent, you know, and, and Marcus and Coach Latina and Daryl, like, hey, what does this mean? What are we doing here? What does this mean? And them kind of giving me recommendations on different things to do and things they have been through. Um, it, it was, like I said, it was a wild time um, because, you know, the unknown is there, but, you know, you're working, you're working, you're working all the time. And um, it was a childhood dream since I was eight years old. Um, and, and draft day, it was, it was, it was bittersweet uh, because I, there were so many guys that I had become cool with and had come into contact with and played in all-star games, met at the combine, um, as well as uh, Todd, you know, Todd Gurley, that's, that's, He's younger than me, but, you know, same hometown, same place. I've known Ty since Ty was in sixth grade. Um, I've known his whole – I know his whole family. I actually talked to his mom a couple months ago. Um, and his bro- uh, brother just had a birthday in past. So, you know, being able to see Ty go and live his dream and be drafted so early. And, you know, our hometown having two guys in a draft. And it was uh, it was great to see that, but at the same time, starting to get calls in the fifth round and you know you're seeing guys still being picked and you know anticipation and anxiety kind of building up like man like Lake and then you know Lakin went early Todd went early and then Jamison gets pulled off the board I'm like man like I think I'm next I think I'm next and you know I'm kind of nervous and then we get to the seventh round um, and I'll never forget it my agent looked at me and she said uh, this is it um, they're not going to pick you so go ahead and start looking at rosters. You're going to go undrafted. And I, I, I'll never forget it. I, I almost broke down into tears because um, I felt like everything I had worked hard for was had been thrown out the door. Um, thought I was going to get drafted. Thought I was going to, you know, see my name called on ESPN, jumped about it, and when it didn't happen, I was so devastated. But you know, she kind of shook me a little bit and said, hey, you know, listen, you're already getting calls. You're gonna have a. You're, you're gonna be fine. So get out of your feelings. You're okay. You're gonna. You're gonna be fine. Like, all right, if you say so. And um, it became a bidding war um, after that. Is is every team in the NFL started calling um, all 32, and they were just trying to outbid each other um, for a signing bonus to get me as an undrafted free agent. The Redskins and Coach Callahan actually called me. Um, he called me on my personal cell, and I pick up the phone. And, you know, he told me he said, "You know, you're going to be a Washington Redskin um, before the football team, uh, before they took their skin off." But you know, he said, "You're going to be here. You're going to be one of my players." Um, I developed Ron Leary. I developed Jeremy Parnell, and I think I can develop you um, into something similar. Uh, he he was really adamant. Uh, spoke very highly. I was, you know, I really respected him for everything he'd done, you know, from the Raiders to the Cowboys at that point in time in his career. Um, he had been on so many different, in different stops, and he was known as kind of the guru in the NFL with O-line coaches. So I was really excited, um, and they, they gave me a really good signing bonus, too. So <laughs> um, <laughs> they outbid everybody, so I was really excited about that. You got to um, look out for yourself. Absolutely. So, 
you know, once that kind of ended, once that kind of ended, I walked out of I walked out of the room, um, and I told my family, "Hey, you know, I'm, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in Washington, um, I'm gonna be in the DMV." So they were really excited. Um, half of my family actually is from the DMV area. Um, a lot of my cousins, um, aunts, um, ton of cousins and aunts that live up there. So um, it was it was good to be closer to them. And, and be able for them to see me and they could come to training camp and different things. So that was a blessing. It was a huge blessing to land there. Um, and from there, uh, it was it was a wonderful kind of walking in, having Jameson uh, there too as a draft pick and just kind of seeing how they, the difference in draft pick and undrafted, kind of like you were saying, um, you're, you're in a dogfight every day. Um, and, you know, I thank God that a guy like Trent Williams, um, he, he he took me under his wing to some degree and, and, and he, he taught me a ton. Um, she talked to me a ton. And, um, a lot of the veterans, uh, they, they, they talked to me and I listened. Um, I tried to sit around and soak up a lot of what they talked about, um, not just football, but off the field. And I feel like that made a huge difference. Um, a great, great thing is a guy by the name of Austin Ryder. He's the starting center for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Um, Austin's a phenomenal player, but Austin was drafted in the seventh round, and I was an undrafted free agent. And they let go of Austin, and they kept me on the practice squad. Um, and to this day, I feel like that's the fire that lit kind of up under Austin and got Austin, you know, to be the player he is now. Um, and you know, while I was there. Um, and the time that he kind of spent being away, I was there and I was able to soak up a ton um, and, and grow a ton as a player. And that, you know, helped me the following, you know, the following preseason. They ended up letting me go. Um, and I ended up in Seattle for exactly six days. But, you know, um, it wasn't anything, you know, Coach Carroll told me, you know, when they let me go, he said, you know, it was nothing you did. Um, you actually came out here and probably had the best week of practice if anybody we had on the team. Um, you came off the bus, you came off the plane, and, and you worked hard. Um, and, and that's the thing is that undrafted kind of gritty. You got to be gritty. You got to. You're only going to get so many opportunities. Um, just as an undrafted guy, you're you're only going to get so many chances, and you got to maximize on them. And Trent told me something, and, and you know, he, he reminded me every day. You know, you got to do something every day to make them remember why they're keeping you um, and why they, you need to be here. Um, and and that's kind of the mentality you take every single day walking into work. Is you know, why 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 do you need? What do I do to need? What do I do? What do I have to do every day to remind you of why you need? Um, why you can't afford to let me go to another team. Um, and I, like I said, I thank Trent for that a lot. Uh, Morgan Moses, he's another dude that um, helped me a ton. Ty and Seki, um, those guys, they're older than me. You know, they've been doing it for a while. They helped a ton. And then um, eventually, then the next next stop was Oakland, um, where I was able to, to, to spend time with Rodney Hudson, Donald Penn, Colecio Semele, um, those dudes and, and they helped a ton Gabe Hudson they helped me a ton too and all of us kind of talking and Coach Mike Tice he's a huge he's a great O-line coach I, I still talk to Coach Tice you know here and there um, great O-line coach great man um, and again just 
kind of that gritty. I had to keep that chip on my shoulder at all times, just knowing like, hey, you know, you guys got me here, but you overlooked me in the draft. Um, you overlooked picking me. You know, you went elsewhere, you picked elsewhere. And uh, just like I said, keeping that chip because every day it's it's a they're bringing in guys to to train. They're bringing in guys for tryouts, for workouts, and there's some there's some kid whose dream is to take your job, is to have the position you're in. So um, it's just a it's an all out dog fight every day. Well, tell us how you ended up. Well, actually, I want to I want to be clear on this. So you you played for Washington, Seattle, and the Raiders in the pro in the NFL. Is that right? All right, so then how did you end up in Canada, and what team are you currently signed with? So I ended up in Canada uh, in 2016. Um, I was, like I said, I was in, I was in Oakland, um, and everything was going right. Um, it, was, it was arguably, you know, the, the Redskins had let me go, the Seahawks had let me go, and it had really lit a fire up under me. Everything was going right. I was playing great in Oakland. Um, I'd been moved from tackle to center, um, playing guard tackle in, in Washington and then Seattle, and then got to Oakland. And Coach Tice said, hey, man, I think you will be a phenomenal center. And I moved to center, um, played some center in high school as well, but uh, never at Duke. So um, when, I, when I made the transition, it made life easy. Um, and that's why I said I got a chance to spend a ton of time with you know Rodney Hudson and um, one day um, in October, mid-October, um, we were in practice and we are doing one-on-ones and I ended up tearing my ACL. Um, and my season was done, season over. Uh, ended up getting surgery and, like I said, rehabbing my knees, just trying to get back in the swing of things and get back to a, a, a place of where I could, you know, get back in the NFL. And um, My agent called me one day and said, hey, you know, consider the CFL, you know, while we're waiting on this NFL thing to open back up and opportunity to open up. And I was kind of like, eh, I'm not really interested. And she was like, all right. She came back to me about three or four times, you know, same thing. Like, hey, you know, CFL team is really interested in you. Um, and I finally said, after like the fourth time, I finally said, okay, like, well, what are they talking about? Um, she kind of explained the offer and the deal. Um, and the more I thought about it, you know, called I called Marcus and Coach Latina and uh, another of my really good close family friends, Isaac Mooring. He actually played at UNC. Um, he's a D-line coach at Houston Baptist now, uh, University. But uh, and they all told me, "Hey, go play! You know, go play! Go play! You're you're still young. You still can do it. Go play. One day you're gonna get old. Your body's not gonna work the same. Your knees are gonna hurt. Your back's gonna be sore. Go play. You can go play. Go play." So. Um, I took my chances. Um, it was uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Uh, Coach Chris Jones. Um, Coach Chris Jones. Um, the, he was the GM and head coach at the time. Um, he took a shot on me, and, and I thank him. You know, he's a, he's a great dude. You know, great football mind, tough guy. Um, and, and he took a shot on me. Coach Stephen Soils um, was our, our old line coach. You know, he, he had a good connection with Coach Callahan, Coach Paul Alexander, um, and he has seen a lot of the things, you know, I've been taught and learned. And there was a lot of continuity, and they brought me in, uh, and I became starting left tackle. Um, I think after the first five or four or five games, um, I spent on the practice squad up there just kind of learning the differences and nuances to the game and things. And, 
like I said, I became the starting left tackle, and from there it kind of took off. Tell us a little bit about those nuances and differences between the NFL and the CFL. Uh, for one, uh, for one, the revenue, uh, <laughs> the revenue is, is a major change. Um, you're being paid in Canadian dollars. So, um, it fluctuates from anywhere between 73 cents to a dollar to about 79 cents to a dollar. I think was the best I ever saw while I was there. So, you know, getting paid and coming back to the States, um, you're losing money every time you spend some Canadian money. Uh, we call it funny money while we're up here. We're like, all right, we <laughs> got funny money. Like, <laughs> so it was, uh, that was a huge change. Um, but within the game, um, there's, well, the first thing is there's 12 people on both sides of the football. Um, there's a whole extra guy out there on both sides. Um, the field so the uh, American football field is 53 and a half yards. The field up there is 65. It's a, it's a, it's a soccer field. You're literally playing on a soccer field. Um, the goalposts are in the front of the end zone, not the back. Um, the 55-yard line is the midway point of the field. The end zones, I think, are 20 yards deep. Um, it's, uh, and there's only three downs um, as opposed to four. Um, you also got what's called the waggle, meaning that uh, anybody not on the line of scrimmage can move before the snap of the football. Um, so you'll watch a game up there, and before the ball is snapped, you'll see the quarterback kind of move his hands, and you might see four or five guys just start taking off, sprinting towards the line of scrimmage. Um, and and it, it's the, oh, and the defensive line is a yard off the ball. Um, so what? yeah, it's, it's, that's why I said those first five, six games of kind of adjusting. Um, but believe it or not, um, I love it. Um, I really love it. It's, it reminds me a lot of college football, um, in the sense that the momentum swings kind of can go fast just because you only got three downs. So there's not really a space to become, a downhill, more like a Big Ten team where you can just kind of get like an Iowa where you can just get downhill and run the football two times in a row. I mean, you can, but if you get stuffed two times in a row, you're now hunting the football immediately. Um, so it's it's it goes fast. Um, it's much faster just because you have less, you know, snap counts and you have a bigger field. Um, and you kind of defend – defenses play a little different um, because – if you're on the right hash, you got to throw an out route to the field, to the left hash. That's like a 50-yard throw. Um, it's a long throw. It's a long, long, long throw. So, Wow, the orthopedic surgeons must love that. I mean, my God. <laughs> you get some You get some really – but and that's the thing. You get some really crazy athletes up there, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. um, you get a whole different kind of athlete, like a – like a smaller, quicker body, like TJ Warming and Ryan Smith, those types of bodies up there, um, they 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 love it um, because there's so much field to kind of manipulate and work with, um, and they can kind of maneuver it and use their quickness and their size and their size to their advantage and being smaller, kind of slippier guys. But um, you see some wild, wild, wild um, football plays up there, um, just because. Like I said, it's it's so it's faster in my opinion. It's much faster um, in the way that the, the the game has to move. 
Well, all right. So if there's a season this year, I'll put it in my queue of things to watch. You talk me into it. All right. And of course, <laughs> at my age, you remember two people who played in the CFL, Warren Moon and Doug Flutie. Uh, yep. And people forget how dominant of a player Warren Moon was, but you talk about a freak athlete. Uh, he certainly was that. Um, all right, so let's. Uh, we talked a little bit about Duke. Let's let's go to Duke. How did you end up there? Who recruited you? And earlier you mentioned Coach Luke. That's Coach Matt Luke, who's now at Georgia, I think, right? Yep, yep, yep. See, uh, so um, I, I got my Duke offer at the end of my tenth grade year. Um, I was the, yeah, summer of my tenth grade year, going into my uh, my junior year. Got my Duke offer, coach. Uh, I came in for a junior day, um, and you know they offered me right there at the end of junior day. Um, I was really, really, really humbled by it. Um, it was my second offer, actually. My first came from East Carolina University. Um, they they came over. They they were right down the street, twenty minutes, so they drove over, um, offered me. Uh, that was my very first offer in high school. Um, I think I played three or four maybe varsity football games when they offered me. Um, and from there, it kind of took off with ECU, Duke, um, Buffalo, Georgia Southern, App State. Um, and then I went on to you know get an offer from NC State. Um, Virginia offered me. Virginia Tech offered me. Um, and, and like I said, the list kind of ended up growing. Um, but, you know, the main thing that stood out you know, with, with Duke was, in, in all honesty, was Coach Cut. Um, Coach Marion Hobby was actually who was my primary recruiter and who I talked to probably the most. And then, you know, Coach Luke kind of came in and started talking to me and recruiting me as the O-line coach. Um, but Coach Cut and my relationship with him and how personal he is with guys, how personal he is with my family, um, he took the time to get to know me, to get to know my family, and he really made it a, a, a connection and, and a relationship you know, while I was there. Even now, since I've been gone, you know, he, uh, you know, if he sees me and talks to anybody, you know, first thing he says is, oh, yeah, you're talking about the big cat. Yeah, I know big cat. I know him. So, <laughs> he, you know, he's been down to Tallboro. Um, he's seen, you know, the high school. He's, he knows the area. Knows my family personally, and, and, and that's the that's honestly the thing that drew me the most. Um, it's just like I said, his his relationship, um, it's how personal he was with us. Um, he wasn't a head coach. It was like, hey, I'm just gonna let my assistants recruit you, and I'm gonna you know sit up in my office and coach football. It was all, hey, you know, this is my house, this is my family, this is my story, you know, and I want to know yours. I want to, I want you to be transparent with me as I'm doing with you. Um, and that, that really made that really made it a almost like a no brainer. Um, and a lot of, in a lot of sense, and you know, the education piece of it, I couldn't really beat both of them coming together. Um, you know, he, he really made us believe that there was going to be a change in that program with the right people getting in there. Um, and he and he held true to his word. Because, you know, the way I walked in and the way I walked out, um, it definitely, definitely, we definitely left the place better than we found it. Let me ask you a little bit about that, because uh, Check's notes here, you guys had a pretty good offensive line of Lake and Tomlinson, <laughs> yourself, uh, 
Lucas Patrick, Matt Skura, and then this guy, Dave Harding, who's sitting up in the booth right now in air conditioning, you know, eating whatever he wants, doesn't have to worry about, you know, the getting his body beat up. I hope you guys give him a lot of grief about that. Anyway, um, and I'm not I'm not just saying that because I've tried to reach out to him and haven't been able to connect with him to see if he wants to come on here. So this isn't just some bitter rant of some angry, almost 40-year-old who has his priorities all wrong. But um, let, let, me, let me just ask you, I, I'm curious, you're coming into a program that from watching it as much as I have up to that point in time, it had not been a very good program. There had not been a lot of success. Believe me, I, one win a season sometimes I felt like, you know, we were world champs, okay? We were world beaters if, if we got a win, right? Right. You guys came in and completely flipped the narrative about Duke. I mean – to say that you made Duke relevant would be an understatement, okay? How did you, one, I mean, what were your expectations when you came in, one? Was that your goal, two? And then three, tell us a little bit about how you all as a team and a unit held each other accountable to achieve your goals. Um, so walking in, um, you know, coming in, all we kept hearing from the coaching staff is, like, hey, you know, we got good young men here in this program, but we need football players. We need guys that are committed to being football players. And um, going on visits, he was 100% right. The team, the guys that were there, they're, they were phenomenal. Um, I still keep in touch with a ton of them now. Um, and, and we tell those guys, you know, we appreciate you guys because you paid the price. Kind of like you said, those one-win seasons and going there with nobody else when it was unpopular, you know, um, 100% unpopular, you know, through the roof, through the uh, Ted Roof era. Uh, and just going there and being there, and committing to it and trying to change a place. Um, we, we definitely pay, pay our, you know, we pay our homage and, and our gratitude to those guys that came before us because, um they supported us. Um, they supported us. They came back to the program. They supported Coach Cut. Um, they didn't look at us like, "Hey, you, know, you guys are coming in. You're Coach Cut's guys. You, you know, you guys don't want to. You know, you guys don't care about us. They're gonna play you." There was no jealousy. It was all support. It was all love. They wanted us to be better. They they showed us, you know, the pitfalls and the things that they did incorrectly. Um, and they showed us pieces of tradition that uh, Duke football still holds true um, and, and that they wanted to see, you know, continue to keep growing and our, our growth and the program's growth. Um, so when we came in as a, as a class, the biggest thing that we focused on was um, work, 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 work. And that was really put into place by Coach Durfee. Um, Coach Durfee believed that, you know, we were going to, we, we, the, the work was going to finally turn the tide. Um, we were going to turn the tide if we, if we continue to keep our nose to the grindstone and just work and outwork people. Um, so when we got there, um, we knew we weren't, you know, we weren't going to be the best. Um, but we knew as a younger class that we had some good football players. Um, you know, Juwan Thompson, Anthony Boone, uh, Isaac Blakeney. Desmond Johnson, Jordan Ardigio, you know, these were good football players. Um, and we and, and we found that out as true freshmen in training camp because we were competing with a lot of the seniors. Um, and we were making plays, and the seniors and the juniors looked at us, and they were like, hey, you know, 
you're going to be good. Like, you know, you're going to really be good. And they would kept reassuring us, like, hey, guys, like, y'all are different. Like, y'all are way, y'all are super talented. You know, this is Coach Cut is coming here and he's, he's bringing good coaches and he's supporting you guys. So, you know, it wasn't exactly like this all the time with Coach Ruth. And, you know, things were a little different with him. You know, just just you guys keep your you know you're doing the right you're doing the right things. And, um, a lot of those older guys that, like I said, came in through Coach Ruth, they they led us, they led us the correct way. Um, Ray Rayquan Boyette is a, is a direct reflection of that. Um, and somebody that is from back home that talked to me quite a bit, you know, coming in that I still talk to and support. And, um, congratulations to him, you know, getting an upgrade and becoming um, the offensive coordinator there. Um, I think he's going to do a phenomenal job. Him and Jeff this year, I think, are going to, you know, be phenomenal, you know, in, in, in helping that, that offense, you know, get back to where, you know, where where we had it before. And, um, I, I think overall it, it was just we knew we wanted – to be better and we knew we were better than one win a, a year and um we had already seen the changing you know we came there and you know dad and, and dad in the offense they had done so many great things dad had really you know taken off and as a player and you know, my senior year i watched him beat nc state um and and I, I was at that game and i kind of saw the turning of the tide a little bit there um and you could tell there was a different team there was a different swagger kind of going on in Durham. Um, and everybody that was becoming a part of it, um, we, we all kind of kept saying, that, hey, you know, we're, we're going to change this thing. We're going to be better than what they even are now. And we just want to keep the ball rolling. Um, the toughest part about it, though, was our second year there, my, my redshirt freshman year and going three and nine the second time. Um, the first time wasn't so bad. Uh, we had we, we had to literally watch Alabama. Um, I remember. I uh, yeah, I, uh, we we don't need to relive that. I remember. We I can just skip past it. So many NFL players. So I, actually, I, I'll change that. In 2013, playing Florida State in ACC championship. That's the only other game that I can compare, I compare those two teams because it was it was almost the same buzz saw. Um, just just lot just top draft pick after all of it, after you know. Heisman Trophy winner, and, and you're looking up the roster, and you're like, Man, how are we going to do this? Yeah, they like, had a third uh, unit that could be a first unit at most oh, schools. I, I, mean, I was, I, I saw a defensive end come in. Um, I'm trying to think. They had the, I want to say the Walker kid. Uh, Walker kid was a starter. Tank Carradine was the backup, and um, both of them were, were you know, they were pretty, pretty high up draft picks. And I'm just like, man, this is rough. Um, but you know, in seeing that and and that that true freshman year, um, we it was it was different. We were watching it and we were like, okay, you know, we'll get there. We're gonna get there. We're gonna get over the hump. You know, after this true freshman year, after this redshirt year is over, we're gonna we're gonna come in as redshirt freshmen and we're gonna you know we're gonna get us over the hump. We're gonna make a bowl game. And that second three and nine season, um, it hurt. It hurt a lot. Um, it hurt. A, it, it humbled us in ways that we thought we were much better than what we truly were and it made us go back to work even harder. Um, and, you know, coming out in that 2012 season, um, uh, uh, we actually coming, yeah, coming out of that 2012 season, uh, coming into it, um, I, I think another huge piece, um, and just speaking from an O-line standpoint, I'm sure most of the other guys will, will, will you know, 
they'll say this, specifically Dave, uh, and I'm, I'm speaking to Dave when I say this, um, that trip to Ethiopia changed us as a, as a unit. Um, it brought us together. We got a chance to see each other um, in some ways that we had never seen each other. We had, we had a chance to kind of see each other in, in environments that we had never seen each other in. But um, it brought us all closer together as a unit. Um, and because of that, I, I really attribute that to our 2012 success, um, especially up front and especially the unit growing um, because there was a level of trust. There was a level of understanding. Um, and there was there was a, a much better communication amongst the group because we spent multiple days in a foreign country together. Um, and, you know, you're seeing pythons and uh, uh, every animal you can think of on that geo is around you and you're just like man like anything can happen out here again you're seeing guys get nervous and scared in different spots i mean i i had a, i had a little nerve wreck while i was out there a couple times but um like i said it brought us together um and that's what i think changed us really and kind of catapulted us into through 2012 into 2013 and through 2014 and, and kind of beyond is that trip, um, especially for the offensive line. I feel like that changed us a ton. Um, it helped us out a lot. So you, you were at Duke from 2010 to 2014, correct? Yes, sir. All right. So uh, let me just kind of close on a, a couple of points about your time at Duke, and then there's a couple other things I want to get into now. You mentioned uh, Coach Boyette. I remember – uh, well, I, I didn't get to see him as much on TV back then, but I would catch him on the radio, watch him on TV when I could. He was a really good player. Uh, he was one of my favorite players through that era. And like you, I'm very glad that he's continued to advance up the chain of command at coaching uh, in Durham. And I hope that we have a good season. And I hope that he uh, keeps giving the ball to Durant because that would be my offensive uh, game plan <laughs> this year. Mateo's different. Mateo's definitely talented. Uh, and he, believe it or not, he called me. Um, actually, uh, I talked to him one day, and we were on the phone. And, and his exact words were, "I got, I got, I got, I got one, and I don't think anybody knows." And when he gets here, he, and he told me, he was like, "Mateo Durant, I'm telling you, Mateo Durant, I'm telling you." And, and when I go back, I went back one time, and I saw Coach Durfee. Um, and he looked at me. And, you know, Coach Durfee said, "Hey, we got this running back. He's a, he's a freak. Like it's it's like nothing I've ever seen before. A he's, brick that can like run. A, yeah, he's like it's, it's like watching. He, he said it's like a fusion of, of, of Juwan Thompson and Sneed and Shaq and Jalay all kind of fused into one. And I'm like." Where did y'all find this superhero at? Like, <laughs> where did y'all get this superhero from? And how did y'all come up on him? You know, Coach Derby was like, I don't know. And, and he was like, You just, you just gotta see it. And before I could, before I could say anything, next thing I know, he's making plays. It's just, and I'm looking at Coach Derby, and I'm like, Oh, that's him. He's like, He's, he's different. He's a little different. Um, and and. I, I think he's going to have his best year yet this year with uh, Coach Fry, you know, having another year up front. Um, and, and like I said, Raekwon calling, uh, helping call the plays. And I think I think they're going to be even really, really, really good this year. Um, you know, Gunner, Gunner at the quarterback. I got a chance to coach against Gunner when I was at Mike Dale. And, um, 
Jacob Monk having another year. I helped train Jacob a lot of times. Um, he, he, you know, I talked to him a ton. Um, him and his family, they're, they're great. Love them. Um, I, I think we're going to be phenomenal on offense this year. Uh, we're going to come back to the current state of the program in a minute because uh, I'm very intrigued by what you just said. But I do want to ask you, what was your favorite moment at Duke, on the field, off the field, classroom, uh, anything? Um, I would say beating UNC in 2013. Um, best moment, greatest moment, knowing we we won the Coastal. Um, when we won the Coastal, that feeling, um, just even seeing that picture of Coach Latina and the whole O-line together and all of us in the locker room after the UNC game, smiling, um, it, it was, again, it's surreal. Um, <laughs> we always laugh and say, you know, we've never seen Lat so happy. Because um, <laughs> he, he used to scowl at us and, 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 and like I say, he used to mess with us all the time and try to act like he's mad at me. But he loved us. Um, and he, he loved, you know, watching us celebrate, win, and sing after the game. Um, just kind of seeing it change. That, that 2013 UNC win was, um, it was, it, it really meant something for us as a program and for each and every one of us and all the hard work we had, we had put in. Um, like I said, that, that was, that's still, uh, that still kind of gives me chills thinking about it. I, I, when I think about that game, I think about Edwards returning. Uh, I can't remember if it was a punt or a kick, but uh, that year he had so many great plays, and you you guys had so many balls bounce the right way for you that in previous years hadn't, and it was just an entirely just special, special season. That NC State game, was, uh, I actually showed that to a couple of my players, and I said, "You guys want to see a you, you guys want to see a superstar that that, <laughs> that you'll never know that, that's not in the NFL." And they're like, "Yeah, like we'll see him." And I show them the last few minutes of that game where he, you know, he got the interception, then turned around and got a was I think he got an interception. Well, he had the kick return first, then turned around and got an interception and returned it for a touchdown. And then turned around and got another interception and returned it. And they were like, yo. And I was like, yeah. Like, he, Devon, Devon was, Devon was electric, um, especially as a return man, because you never knew. Uh, him and Jameson, it was it was every time. If you kick him the ball, you never know if it's going to go or not. Yeah, they were they were a good group. And uh, Edwards, I, I, you know, if he hadn't gotten suffered that injury, I think he would have had a really good NFL career. Uh, he was just a special player, and you can't teach the, that kind of instinct, you know. Uh, but let me ask you, um, we mentioned this before we started, 2015, uh, you were not on the team anymore, but you did see the end of the Miami game as a former player recently removed from the Duke Blue Devils football team. What was your reaction to that? Uh, I was sick because I had betted on us in the locker room. Betted <laughs> 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 on us in the locker room. I was sick. Uh, I was like, "Oh my gosh, they can't believe this is happening." Um, but but on top of that, um, the first thing I tried to do was reach out to the guys that I knew in that locker room, and I just tried to tell them, like, "Hey, you guys got to forget about that um, as fast as you can. Um, just just don't let it linger." Um, I don't. Whatever you do, don't let it linger because 
like you were saying before, um, just the ball not bouncing our way in years past, um, that was kind of one of those, I hate to say it, but that's one of those old Duke plays. That, that, that's the type of stuff that used to happen to us as, as early on kind of in my career. And you're just kind of left like, how? Like, how does that happen? And why does it happen to us? Like, what do we what do we do wrong? Like, who who's not living right around here? Like, like what is this about? But, you know, I, I just told them, hey, guys, you got to put that, you got to let that go. You got to get it out of your mind. Don't let it linger in your system. Don't let it linger in the building. You know, put put this game behind you. Learn from it. Put it behind you. And most importantly, um, like my high school football coach used to say, if you put them away when you're supposed to, you don't have to worry about the referees making mistakes. But they're people too, and they can't see everything. So they're not going to be perfect. Um, and, and that's kind of what I told a lot of them. Like, hey, y'all got to put people away when you got when you need to. And um, I told Cirque that even I was like, hey, you know, you gotta if you see a moment where you can you can you can put a team away, you know, go do it. Put the, throw the ball if it means throwing it take off use your feet you know if that means you know doing it but don't don't let them linger um i know it's miami but hey we beat them um and we put them away when we needed to um, in 2013 so um, it, it was it was scary because i didn't want it to to really hurt them um the rest of the season and in a lot of cases i feel like it did um, i feel like that game did linger on um for the next few games uh, yeah, and the players that I've talked to who were part of that have confirmed that, at least for them, and it sounded like for a good majority of the team, it did. And and to your to your point, I think you're giving people benefits of the doubt in regard to officiating, uh, and I, I I commend that. But I just I, I do want to say he's staring right at the guy who gets tackled and his knee is down when he, the Miami player, when he's trying to lateral the ball off and Cirque and the offense had one heck of a drive to get the ball in the end zone, to get the lead back. And I just, that play, uh, I'm, I, I, I don't, yeah, how many years has it been now? Like six years, and I still you know, get this angry about it. I mean, every time I see it pop up, I'm always like, "No, no, stop showing that! Like, stop!" So we we've had so many more great moments than that one play, and everybody, like you said, everybody, everybody saw it. The kid, the guy's knee was on the ground. It was obviously looking at him, and they just let him keep playing, and it was it, it was just bad. It was it was. It was bad officiating. Probably the worst call I've ever seen in football, to be honest with you. And the, the missed call, I can un, I can intellectually and emotionally process and deal with as a fan who may or may not be drinking some adult beverages during the game with a buddy of mine. All right, <laughs> I can handle that. What I what I think made it hard for everybody and still hard for everybody, and there's probably a Miami Duke Miami Halloween subset of PTSD. Okay. Um, is the way that the review was handled. The guy comes out two or three times. It takes forever. The replays show he was clearly down. And w- what is the point of review? And then afterwards, the the conference comes out and says, our bad, we goofed. Duke should have won that game. I mean, that, that I think, that process of it probably is what led, if I had to, you know, get inside the minds of people and try to psychoanalyze them, which I'm not a professional in that field and can't do it. But 
I would think that that part of it probably made it harder for the guys to get over what happened that season. Absolutely. Um, when you got, you know, not only fans, but family members watching it and, you know, still talking about it and guys trying to get ready for the following week. And, it, and it's human nature, you know, it's human nature. And I know, you know, I know Coach Cut. He, he probably was, you know, preaching the same thing I'm talking about now, which is, hey, you know, got to go over it. We got to, I mean, got to get over it. We got another game. We got a rest of the season. We got to grow from it. But, um, absolutely, that was it. Was it was sickening to? Again, I'm I'm in the locker room, and you know they went down on the drive and they scored, and um, I'm I'm yelling and, and I'm talking, and now I'm excited because I'm I'm like, yeah, we're about to shock the world again. Like, you know, we're on the map now, and you know, like you said, he came out two or three times, and um, when I was there at Duke, uh, Brandon Connett was. I used to call him uh, Mr. Cleo sometimes. Brandon Connett on the reviews a lot of times could he could tell me whether it was going to be uh, whether it was going to stand or it was going to be you know overturned even before they get into the the, the booth they're going you know check it out and he was always right. So on this one, I was like, okay, based on some things that you know, based on just just remembering some of the stuff Brandon used to say, like. This has got to go. This has got to go different. And, you know, when he came out, went back in, and I'm like, oh, I've never seen this before. Like, this, this is a new number for me. I'm not used to this this back and forth act they're pulling here. And then when they came out and they said, you know, it, it's, it's upheld, and I was, hey, I'm sick because I'm like, wow, not only did we lose, I lost my bet, but then it was just kind of like, well, wait, how, did, how was that? How was that upheld? Like, what ev- what more evidence do you need? He, he was obviously down. You know, everyone in the country that that has flipped on college football right now, it's seen this, and they're seeing the kid was down. And then, like I said, it becomes a, a topic of conversation. And then the conference says, like, "Hey, we got it wrong. You know, Duke should have won." And I'm kind of like, "What's that doing for our kids? What's that doing for our program?" And your bet. What's it doing for your bet? Yeah, it's, 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 if anything, it hurt, it hurt us because now, like I said, the psyche, it's just like, wow, we did beat them. But now our record won't reflect that. Um, we can't go back and change it. And, and now we got to go on and move on to four games, you know, knowing morally, yes, we beat them. Technically, yes, we beat them. But that's not what the scoreboard, that's not what the scoreboard's going to show. Um, and, and it, it like I said, it hurt. Um, it hurt me a little bit, but I know those guys that actually were out there that were grinding, that were fighting, that were, you know, still trying to win that game, and especially for Cirque, um, you know, who, who, you know, was a great quarterback, great guy, great teammate, um, phenomenal guy. And I know it hurt him just because, you know, of all the hard work and bringing us back and kind of kind of having the drive that he had and making the throws and making those plays. Um it's, it's tough. Um, it's tough to kind of live through it and, and grow through it, and you know, and move on. Right, right. And uh, the fact that they find the officials probably for picking up a flag on a review. Of course, we'll never know the detail about details about that. Uh, didn't help. Uh, but uh, let me uh, just ask you to kind of close on this. I'd be interested with your thoughts on the current 
O-line. A lot of Duke fans always grumble about the O-line, but I thought that this O-line was actually pretty good this year, this past year, and had they not had so many injuries at the center position, they probably would have done even better. You're an O-line guy. You're a run game coordinator. Uh, tell us what you think about the current crop of O-linemen at Duke. Well, um, first thing I'll say is um, they got the right man for the job as the O-line coach. Um, coach Fry, I, I, I met with him uh, well, first, Coach Latina called me and said, hey, you know, make sure you go over and meet Coach Fry. And I was just like, all right. He's like, he's one of my guys. I'm like, okay. You, 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 you're, taking, you're taking credit for this one? He literally <laughs> said, you'll, you'll, you'll love him. He was like, you'll love him. Trust me. I'm like, all right, whatever. Yeah, you, you want to poke your chest out? All right, Coach. <laughs> in the first 30 seconds, um, I literally texted Coach Latina back. I said, yep, love him. Um, he reminds me so much of Coach Latina. It's scary. Um, he's fiery, tough, gritty, sarcastic, um, but caring, caring, caring. Loves those guys. Loves the game. Loves coaching. You know, really plays with a lot of – wants guys to play with a lot of enthusiasm and a tough guy mentality. And wants them to finish guys and play hard and – you know, just be a tough, gritty group, um, and and I, I see it, um, and I see it flourishing, and and like I said, it reminds me of a lot of us, um, and a lot of what Coach Latina instilled in us as a group, and uh, you know, Jacob Monk um, is is going to be, I, I think, is going to have his best season yet, um, easily going to have his best season to date, um, not just because he, he's somebody that I train and I work out with, I talk to, but because, you know, Jacob's put in a lot of work and he's, he's really passionate behind the program and he really wants to see it kind of take off and, and continue to ascend and do better and do great. Um, so I think that's that's going to fuel a lot of his success this year. Um, Mar Maurice McIntyre, I think, is going to be the dark horse of the year. Um, I think he's going to surprise the heck out of a lot of um, Duke football fans with the way he plays and the accolades that he stacks up, um, because he 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 reminds me a lot of Lakin in a lot of regards, but he does remind me a lot, a lot of myself, um, just because he he's a he's a really good athlete, really smart, really smart guy on the field um, that plays really really hard, really tough, really strong. Um, the two newcomers, um, I've heard nothing but great about them. Um, Specifically, I uh, forgot their young man's name from Alpine Christian that transferred in. Um, I've heard nothing but greatness about him. Um, so I think him, you know, being a newcomer on our offensive line, I think he's going to help us out a lot. Um, uh, Jake, uh, Jake, you know, being able to be back at center and being healthy is going to do wonders for us. Um, I think that's going to be wonderful for us in a lot of regards. Um, and, you know, even Graham being able to move from center and, and him, you know, coming in to Duke as a tackle, um, you know, being recruited as a tackle and having to play center, kind of get your feet wet and being, you know, Coach Fry being teaching them how to play center and, and working with them, getting them right. Austin Davis being being there, you know, to help help teach and coach and mentor those guys. Um, AD, you know, being one of our young guys that came through with us, um, I, I think they're going to be – 
really, really good. Um, really good. I think they're, like I said, I think they're going to shock a ton of people and a ton of teams this year. Um, just up front with the mentality and the tough, hard-nosed mentality they're going to play with. Um, and I really I really believe in Graham a lot. Um, Graham Barton really showed me a lot. I believe in him a ton. Um, and, and I think, but I, I think Maurice, um, Maurice and Jacob are going to probably have their best year um, today this, this season. Well, I'm glad to hear from an expert that I'm not completely off base in how I've been reading the O-line. So that always makes me uh, feel good that I'm not totally, totally wrong about that. And I think, you know, if they stay healthy, if they can gel, uh, I think they'll be good. And I'll be very excited to see the players that you mentioned earlier, uh, particularly at the quarterback, Gunnar Holmberg. We know a little bit more at the skill positions, the running back, the wide receivers, what to expect quarterback of a little bit unknown just because he hasn't played a whole lot and then the o-line i mean if if we don't have a lot of turnover at the center position i think i think we should be pretty good um and so turning though i want to give you one last chance just tell us anything you want to say about duke football the campus uh the academics at duke anything about what you're doing now the biggest challenges that a school like duke faces wide open uh say whatever you want to say um, I just, I, I, first and foremost, um, again, I appreciate this opportunity. Um, this is, this is, you know, great for fans and, and I think former players to join and, and get on your platform and speak with you. Um, and just, just to be able to, you know, talk about the program and kind of give a insight look to, um, Duke football and, and to see, you know, like you said, we always have on our helmets a lot of times. You don't always get a chance to kind of see into the life um, of a lot of guys that play in the program. Um, so I think this, this definitely this platform, this opportunity helps a ton. Um, and, and, you know, the next thing is for every fan that, you know, saw this year and kind of saw, you know, the downturns and the, the turnovers, um, as alumni, believe it or not, we grew up and grind probably worse than you guys. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the reason being is because um, we know what it used to look like uh, in the sense that we lived it. Uh, we literally lived it, the three and nines, the, 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 the kind of going through games where you're winning, and, you know, the, uh, was it Virginia Tech 2012 where, you know, a game we should have really been getting blown out that, you know, we're, we're in the game the whole time and then things just all of a sudden kind of fall apart. You know, we, we lived that. So those, that, that pain, we, we 100% understand it. But, you know, the, the main thing and I guess the reason why we're so passionate and why we grow up and grind a little bit more is because, you know, we know what Coach Cut stands for. We know what Coach Durfee, you know, instills and, you know, what how hard half works. And, and, you know, everybody in that program, we know what the standard is. Um, and we, our expectations are always going to be high. Um, our, our, you know, our we, we expect nothing but results from those guys. And, um, a lot of the alumni tries to give back. And we're, a lot of us are, are still welcomed in that building. Um, and we try, and I, and I specifically know that I try to give back and, you know, support those guys, not just, you know, the guys that I train, but all of them, um, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, even, you know, guys like Victor D. McKay, G. and Chris Rump and, um, 
Derek Tangelo, you know, even even with him transferring through Jordan, you know, I, I those guys they transfer, but I support them. Um, and they're they're always going to be Duke gang and, and and Duke for life to me. Um, you know, be it wherever they landed and whatever they did and wherever they go, um, those guys are are always going to have my support. They're always going to get my support. Um, as fans, I can't thank you all enough um, for the support and you know for staying with us through the tough times and, and, and the good times as well. Um, just continuing to, to, to be great fans and supporting us and, and helping the program. Um, we, we, we're, we're getting better and we're going to improve. Um, and that's kind of my, my old with the, the, the performance, the kind of transition and, you know, the TC3 performance and what I do, um, I personally have a vendetta with the state of North Carolina because I'm an offensive lineman, and I feel like as an offensive lineman in the state, I feel like we have a lot. We we can become better, and I want to see Duke recruit better offensive linemen in the state of North Carolina just as much as I want to see every other school um, because I feel like there is a niche for that here. I feel like we do have a ton of great athletes on um, the front of the offensive line, so um me training and doing that that's actually my my part of my reasoning for doing it um is i want a lot of the offensive line play in the state to elevate from a high from middle school all the way up um so that we can get better offensive linemen so we can look out there and duke football can see hey we got three four five guys out there that often are our north carolina guys that we don't have to go out of the state to recruit um and we can, you know, keep our, our fan base even closer to home and grow that fan base because I saw from my first hand that's that's what affected us beating North Carolina and NC State was we had more homegrown talent. Um, we had taken more of that home talent and it didn't maneuver its way out to to Chapel Hill and Raleigh. Um, so by all means, um, like I said I'm doing the doing the training. Um, with those guys and um like I said I just really appreciate it appreciate coach cut um giving me an opportunity to play there and represent the program um and going to do greater things and like I said I appreciate you and, and really all the fans for supporting us and, and giving us a, a voice and a platform to kind of speak and um give some insight into the program because um it, it was a phenomenal opportunity that changed my life and um, brought me closer to a lot of great people and great young men. Uh, and I and I want that to be for every young man that kind of comes into contact with the program. You're being recruited by Duke. It's like Coach says all the time, it's not a four-year decision, that's a four-year decision. Um, Duke alumni from past, present, um, guys like Raekwon and Leon Wright. I actually talked to Leon not long ago. He's a corners coach at uh, Old Dominion now. And, um just, just guys like that, and um, even guys like Reggie Love, um, who has been a phenomenal um, friend of mine, and somebody I've grown to kind of know a little bit now, and contact with a little bit more, and uh, we keep in touch. You know, either former Duke football alum, he didn't play for Coach Cut, but you know, um, being there playing, you know, gave me the opportunity to meet Reggie and um, learn from him, and, and, and you know, consult him about different things and. So it, it's, like I said, it's definitely not a four-year, it's a 40-year. Um, and I just appreciate you all. Appreciate, like I said, appreciate everyone. Appreciate this opportunity. So if there's anything I can ever do for you or anybody else, um, 
don't hesitate to reach out. My Twitter, um, Kobe C seventy three, um, uh, Big Cat two five two on Instagram, um, and then my business uh, TC three performance. Um, anybody that reaches out, um, it's me. Like you said, you, you DM me, I'll answer. Um, I'll answer. I'm not. I'm not I'm, I usually try and get back as quickly as I can. But uh, like I said, I really appreciate it. Um, thankful for the opportunity and all the support. Well, uh, that was a great summation, uh, and I appreciate the kind things you said about us fans and about the platform we're trying to build here at Bull City Coordinators. And I, I want to thank you for coming on, and I want to thank everybody who's come on here because uh, you were talking about you grumbling as an ex-player, former player at Duke and an alum of, of the football program. This Opportunities like this have, have really helped me learn a lot about what goes on behind the scenes, how the program operates, and it has helped me become a lot more patient and more understanding about the difference between a three and nine season and a six and six season that ends in a bowl game and how, how, uh, you know, thin of a read that can be there. Uh, and, uh, you know, you mentioned Leon Wright, uh, and, and Reggie Love, uh, I may uh, have to hit you up on trying to get in touch with one or both of them because if Leon writes at ODU, I'm in Roanoke on the other side of the state, so it, it wouldn't be too hard for the two of us to uh, to connect. Uh, but I love any opportunity to talk about Duke football. I appreciate you coming on. This is recorded on May 8. Tomorrow is May 9, which is Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day. If you want to Kobe, if you want to go ahead and throw that out there before we let you go, uh, uh, if there's yeah, any absolutely happy Mother's Day to my mom, um, my girlfriend, uh, Camille, uh, her mom, um, and all the moms out there, um, happy Mother's Day and thank you for, for everything that you do. Absolutely. All right, there you go. Now you can't get in trouble for forgetting to say that. So we, we protected you there on that one. Uh, anybody who is listening, anybody who is following us, please reach out. You can follow us at Duke FB coverage on Twitter. Uh, my DMs are open. Uh, send us a comment at bullcitycoordinators.com. Send us an email uh, at bullcitycoordinators uh, at gmail.com. Listen to our podcast on Apple, Anchor, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We have a few more interviews planned. I'm going to go ahead and say this since this came up heavily during this interview. Uh, Coach Latina has committed to do an interview in June. Uh, my schedule is a little bit brutal right now with uh, kids' lacrosse commitments uh, that we have to follow through pretty much every day of the week, it feels like. So doing these as often as I like is a little tricky. We also have some other interviews planned, and I'm trying to line a few more up. So if you are a former player, current player, coach, uh, current or former or family member of, of a someone associated with the Duke program, uh, or you're associated with it anyway, please reach out. We're easy to get a hold of. We appreciate your continued support, and we look forward to bringing you uh, many more good interviews like this one in the future.